Okay, those uh, terrorist attacks in Paris, what was it, a couple of weeks ago or ten days ago, they have disturbed millions and millions of people, haven't they? Uh, Europe is now a sort of continent that is shaken and it is a continent that is kind of asking questions. Like, questions like, you know, how is that sort of thing possible? How is it possible that man can be so incredibly evil towards his fellow man? You know, how can people murder in that sort of horrific way? How is such wickedness possible? Well, as Christians, what we know is that the Bible is the only place, the only place that provides adequate answers to those sorts of questions, isn't it? Like, in Scripture, what we learn is that, okay, we're maybe not all of us on the on the brink of sort of mass terrorism or anything like that, but in Scripture, what we learn is that we are, all mankind is sinful, that we are by our nature, and just being human, what we are is corrupt. We are capable of staggering wickedness. Do you see the point? See that stuff in Paris? What was it? That was evidence of the universal sinfulness of humanity, wasn't it? But we can't just leave it there. The Bible teaches us much more than that. What we have in Scripture isn't just an explanation of wickedness. What we've got in Scripture is better than that, isn't it? Scripture doesn't just explain why there's wickedness, why there's evil, why there's, there's, there's disease in the world. Scripture doesn't just give an explanation of wickedness. What does it do? Scripture provides a solution to wickedness. We learn in God's word, we are shown by God in his word, wait a minute, how man can be changed, how we can be cleansed, how we can be made new by God. Right, tonight, what we've got in front of us is that rescue story of the Bible drawn in, and we've got it in microcosm, and we've got it in just a few verses in front of us. Isn't that awesome? The rescue story of the people of God brought down in a microcosm. Because think about it. I mean, what have we seen in recent times in Zechariah? We've seen a lot about the wickedness of the people of Israel. You remember that, don't you? Remember they've, they've shown their determination to turn against God. Remember they were following the wicked leaders. That's what Jerusalem's happened. So the backdrop... Is the sinfulness of the people. And then what about last week? Last week we began to see something of God's plan of salvation. How was he going to do it? Through the one who was pierced. Through that fountain filled with blood. And what happens tonight is that we build upon that plan of salvation. So tonight, here we see, <laughs> we see more of this wonderful solution. Right, tonight, we see more about this majestic purification that God provides for us, for his people. So, the plan is that I pray, and then we'll turn back to Zechariah, and we'll look at these verses. Okay, let's, 
Let's pray and let's ask God to bless uh, uh, us and his word. Lord in heaven, we are a people who are so wicked and so sinful and our hearts and our minds are so far from where they should be. We should be uh, thinking of you. We should be pleading with you just now. And uh, Lord, we don't do this. And we ask, Lord in heaven, for forgiveness. But we learn in the book of Acts that your word builds up your people. And so we are asking that you would do that. Spiritually, Lord, would you build us up tonight? Would you build us up so that we can uh, see more of Christ and understand more of what we are supposed to, to do in living in obedience for Jesus Christ? Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you do that with me? Would you turn back to Zechariah 13, if you've not got it there? First of all, let's think about the striking of the shepherd. So do you see the section we're looking at? So it's just the shepherd struck, the sheep scattered. It's from verse 7. The first thing we're thinking about is the striking of the shepherd. Okay. What is this? You know, last week, we took a big, big chunk of the book of Zechariah. We took something like a chapter and a half and looked at that. Tonight, we got it two verses? Maybe three verses, I think it is. What is this? Do you remember um, how things begun last week? Do you remember that there was an assault? It was an assault on a city. Do you remember that? There was a cavalry charge and all that sort of stuff. Here, what you've got is an assault again. But it ain't an assault on a city. It is an assault on a man. An assault on an individual. So just to kick things off, I just want to throw three things at you about this assault, about this punishment that this this man, this individual faces in Zechariah 13. So just, just look at it with me. Three things just to say about it. Notice that it's, It's a fatal punishment, isn't it? Look at the first words in verse 7. God says, Awake, O sword! So, although it's not spelled out for us, what is definite, what we're supposed to see and infer from this is that this guy who is about to be punished, he is about to be killed. You know, it's awake, O sword, he's going to be killed by the sword. This guy here is going to die. That's the first thing. Second thing. Notice that it is a judicial punishment. Do you see what I mean by that? Like, this isn't a car crash. I mean, this isn't some horrific accident that you read, you know? Nor is it a death in warfare. Do you see that this is a, a legal death? A judicial death, a forensic death that's going on here. Do you understand that it is the sword, but it is the sword of judgment that is raised against this individual? So it's a fatal death and it's a judicial death. I said there was three things that would throw at you. The third one is that it's a representative punishment. Representative. So I'll ask you the question, what is this man? This individual that's getting punished, what is he? Is he a postman? 
Is he a policeman? What is he? What is he? He's a shepherd. What does that mean? It means that he is the identified and associated leader of his people. Do you see what we're getting at? This is a man, an individual, who is to be punished on behalf of his sheep. So you with me so far? There's an assault on this man. There's a punishment, and it's a fatal punishment. It's a judicial punishment, and it is a representative punishment. Okay, that's fine. I think we've got to be very careful with this. Because if, you, if you've been here for the series in Zechariah over the last few, few weeks and, and months, I'm sure you're with me. You'd agree that it's becoming like the Scottish Highlands in here or another sort of rural part of Scotland, isn't it? Because everywhere we turn in Zechariah, what we see in there's sheep everywhere. You know, everywhere you look, there's shepherds all over the place. So we've got to be careful, don't we? Because wait a minute, is this guy, is he the same as the other shepherds? Like, remember the, the wicked shepherds before? Who were trying to lead and exploit all people of Jerusalem? Is this, this guy, is he the same as this? Absolutely not. Look at this. Look what Almighty God says about this man in verse 7. Look at it. Because I tell you, it's, 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 it's strange, isn't it? God calls him my. God calls him that. Why? What does that mean? I mean, does that mean that this man's heavenly in some senses? Does it mean that this man who is to be punished, does that mean that he is divine, does it? I tell you, it absolutely does mean that. Look what he goes on to say. God says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is, what does it say? Against the man who is close to me in Scripture. See that expression there? Close to me. It refers to your neighbor. It refers to your peer. It refers to someone who is, wait for it, equal to yourself. God is saying about this man, he is my equal. This is a heavenly, this is a divine shepherd that's been spoken of here. Nah, 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 wait though, wait. Look at the phrase, not just that. God speaks of the man who is close to me. Friends, do you see what we're dealing with? Do you? If you do, it's exciting. Do you see what we've got here? Who is this? Who is it that could be both (laughs) fully human and man? And also, at the same time, fully divine one that God says is is his equal. Who is it? What we're dealing with hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a clear and obvious and glorious prophecy of his work. What we're dealing with tonight is a prophecy of the great shepherd of the sheep. So we see the punishment here. We see the identity I think we really have to deal with the objection that we might have here. Do you, you're thinking about this, Zechariah chapter 13, do you see the objection that a lot of people would have to that first phrase? Do you see the objection? Last Sunday morning in here, um, as part of the service, 
part of this sermon, um, we dealt with infighting. Just briefly, but infighting in the life of the church and the congregation. Do you remember that? Everyone's like, no, I don't remember that. Um, we saw that, that every wicked word that we say about people in the congregation, regardless of how much we might try and justify that to ourselves, every single wicked word we say, spiritually, it is catastrophic. It weakens the witness and the work of London City Presbyterian Church. Do you remember that? Do you remember what Jesus said? What was the words? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Come on. Zechariah 13. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Zechariah 13. Do you see it? Do you see the objection here? Like, who is it that we've just said is being killed here? Who is it? We've just said Jesus. We've just said it's the Son. And wait a minute, who are we saying it is that is punishing? Who is it? It's the Father. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Is this not infighting within the very Trinity itself? Is that not the objection here? Is, that, is, is this not a civil war? Is this not a schism within the Godhead? Friends, no, it's not. What we know as the people of God is what? The Lord Jesus Christ entered willingly into his ministry. Don't we? Don't we know that? Isn't that a marvelous thing? that this shepherd was struck, but how? He was struck of his own volition. Now, follow me. This is what I want to underline this evening. Do you see what that means? It means what we are reading of here. The father striking his son. That that, at some point in time, was agreed upon. Do you see that? I mean, is that, is that not something that is absolutely incredible? That at some point in time, before the creation of the world, before the creation of, of us, before the creation even of the universe, the Son of God must have agreed to this. He must have agreed to have been, yes, I will be fatally punished. I agree. I agree to be judicially punished. I agree to be punished on behalf of the, of the people of God. But even more staggeringly than that, surely is the fact that the Father agreed to this. The Father agreed to this? That he agreed to send his son away? That he agreed to punish his son? That he agreed to do that, though his son did not in any way deserve that. Isn't this incredible? And isn't it absolutely incredible when we remember for whom it was done? Who was it done for? It was done for you. It was, think about the beginning of the sermon, it was done for sinners. It was done for wicked people. It was done for people who were capable of atrocity and wickedness. It was done for you. 
Friends, when we see Zechariah chapter 13, I honestly believe what should happen is that our view of salvation should explode. That it should be sort of drawn out. It should be expanded. You know, we're maybe thinking about salvation like this. We think, oh, well, there was a fall and then Jesus reacted and Jesus came into the world and Jesus died on the cross. Do you see that it wasn't like that? Do you? Do you see that three words, it was planned? Your salvation was planned. The Trinity, the very councils of eternity, before that creation of the universe, they agreed to something for you. I'm asking you this. What did the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agree to? For you, what did they agree to? Awake. O sword. What is it? Awake. O sword. Against my shepherd. Against the man who's close to me. the striking of the shepherd. Secondly, let's consider the refining of the remnant. The refining of the remnant. So we've seen the striking of the shepherd. So this is the second point. Now we've looked at what happens to the shepherd. See the second point here? Let's consider what God says about the effects of that on the sheep. So we've seen what happens to the, the shepherd. He struck. What does that mean for the sheep? What does it mean? So again, three things I'm going to throw out here. So if you follow me on this, what, what does it mean for the sheep that the shepherd has struck? What, what's the aftermath of this? Okay, three things. One, just look at this with me. You'll see the dispersion of the sheep. Look at verse 7. What have we got? Speaks of the scattering of the sheep. Does that ring any bells? Come on. A scattering of the sheep. That there in verse 7 is a prophecy that was fulfilled in the New Testament. We know this, don't we? That Jesus, on the night of his crucifixion, is in the Mount of Olives. And he's got the crucifixion. He's coming up, and he's with his disciples. He speaks to his disciples, and where does he speak from? There. He quotes that to his disciples. He says to his, his, to, to his disciples, to his followers, he says, tonight, because of what is happening, you're going to fall away, and you are going to be scattered. So this is something that's fulfilled. There's a scattering of sheep. So it said three things. Second thing, Notice as well, there's a preservation of the sheep. Um, there's probably mathematicians in the room tonight. You'll like the fact that there's a very odd and weird statistic uh, in verse 8. It says that two-thirds of the people, two-thirds of the sheep are going to be struck down. And you maybe say, well, Andy, how can you then say that there's going to be preservation of the sheep of two-thirds? The focus of the text is on God's protection. He's saying, I am going to save and protect in the aftermath of the shepherd. I'm going to save a third. So you've got a scattering of the sheep. You've got a preservation of the sheep. Really, it's the third thing that I, I want us to focus on. Okay. 
I remember vividly going through a nightmare just before I proposed to my wife. Um, I was in no way prepared at all for the nightmare that is engagement rings. I, I had no idea. And there was me, like, I, I kind of planned this out, and I knew how I was going to propose to her, and I'd thought about that. Um, I'd worked all that sort of stuff out, but <laughs> uh, I sort of went online and, and, and looked at engagement rings, and I was just absolutely bamboozled by the variety of these things, and I just didn't know what to do. Thankfully, my wife is the most unsubtle person in the universe, so she kind of got wind of what went on, somehow or trying to work it out, and so she just so happened to be online and jewelers' websites, you know, just so happened to maybe bookmark a few rings, you know, just so happened that we would be walking past jewelers, and she just so happened to point out some rings that she liked, and you would think that, okay, that's me sorted now, I know what's going to happen, that'll be fine, but still... I was a bit bamboozled, because now I knew what sort of ring she liked. But then there was this word, look, staring at carrots. And I was like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Is, do we want lots of carrots? Little? I just didn't understand the purity of the metal. I just didn't get it at all. It was a minefield. Now, in some ways, that idea there is what we're faced with in Zechariah. Because we're told, I said three things. We're, we're faced with the scattering of the sheep. We're faced with the preservation of the sheep. But then it's about the refining of the sheep here. That's the focus of this section. We see that though we are, you are as a Christian, clean before God, that there is now an ongoing purification process in which we are to be engaged there's refinement for you in your life just now. Now, I just want to open that up just a little bit for us and say two things. One, notice how this refinement happens in your life. Will you look at this with me? Look at verse 9. God says, I will bring these people into the fire. What do you think? I mean, come on, I suppose you, we can see what that's referring to, can't we? I mean, a goldsmith, I'm no expert on these things, but a goldsmith, if he is to refine metal, what does he do? He puts it into the fire. He brings it down the metal into a molten state, and then he takes out the impurities, doesn't he? And then he'll just repeat that and repeat that and repeat. Do you see what that means for us? Do you see what that means for you? This evening, friends, the method that God uses for your purification just now is what? What's the method? Fire. It's through trial that you're purified. And it's through testing that you're purified. And we might think, that sounds awful. Like you might think, that is, that's, that's terrible news. But I'm saying to you tonight, it's not. In fact, it's wonderful. Because ask yourself, what happens? Like you go through a fire. Let's say there's a diagnosis. And it's not a good diagnosis. What happens? 
as a Christian, first thing we do is we, we are on our knees and we're asking God, why? And there's a family fire or a work fire. And we're asking God, come on, why? Do you see what this is in Zechariah? This is part of the reason why those things exist. One thing that you can be guaranteed as a Christian is that you are going through that fire for purification. That trial, that testing, what is God doing in it? He's removing impurity after impurity after impurity. You're going through this fire and God's taking away some of your pride. He's taking away some of your bitterness and he's taking away some of your impatience. You are going through this thing. Why? Because God is making you pure. Then the other thing, notice who it is that does that. You see it? It's verse 9 again. God puts you in the fire. I was reading that. I struggle with that, you know. God puts his people into the fire. Isn't it tough? And what do we think about that? What do you think about that? Do you think, well, a God that would do that? He must be an ogre! A savage! To put his people in a situation of testing? And I'm saying it absolutely not. What we see there is how much God loves his people. Isn't that the case? I mean, think about it. Your purity as a Christian is so important to God. What has he done? Well, we've seen that he sends his son to die for your purity. But also, he cares for you so much, he loves you so much, that there's this ongoing, continuing refining of you. Do you see it? He loves you. He's, he's, he's pouring effort into you. Did you notice in the text that you are not iron? You are not bronze to God. You are not copper to God. What are you in the text? He loves you. He cares for you. You are silver. You are gold. You are precious metal to your God. And I would say to you, friends, hold on to that. If at this point in your life you are going through a fire, Is that how it is? Is there an absolute catastrophe in your life just now? Is there a trial? Do you see what you got here? That thing is not a twist of fate. That thing that you're going through, the fire, it's not just this big, bad turn of bad luck. What is it, that fire? What is it, that thing? It is this evidence that God loves you. It is actually evidence that God is working in you and for you just now. It is evidence that just now in your life, God is refining you. That's what he's doing. He's making you shine. He's making you reflect his glory in this world. So we see the refining of the remnant. Last thing. Third last thing. We've seen the striking of the shepherd. We've seen the refining of the remnant. Third thing, the calling of the covenant. Tomorrow morning, if somebody comes to you and says, 
ask you how your weekend was. And you say that you were at church and they ask you, what is it your church believes? What do you say? I suppose it kind of depends on who asks you, isn't it? Like if it's somebody who doesn't believe in, in Jesus Christ, what would you say? You'd talk about Jesus. You'd maybe say words like the gospel and try and explain that. If it's, let's say somebody you work with from a, a different uh, theological tradition, a different church, what is it your church believes? What would you say? You might use words like evangelical, maybe. You might you say we're a reformed church in here. Another thing that you could say, which I hope is accurate, is that we in here are proponents of what is called covenant theology. Do we know what is meant by covenant theology? Do we? I mean, this is, to the rest of the world, we are a covenant theology church. Do we know what that is? Well, wait a minute. We we know what a covenant is, don't we? A covenant's what? It's an agreement or a bond between two or more parties. It's an agreement. Come on, think about what we saw in the sermon earlier on. Remember? The Trinity, Father and Son, agreeing to go out and to work to save you. What's that? It's, it's an agreement. Yes, yeah, it's an agreement. It's a bond. Theolog- theologians would call that covenant. It's a covenant of redemption. So we know what a covenant is, and it's agreement. Okay. In the rest of Scripture, are there any other covenants that we need to think about? Any other agreements? What happens at the beginning of the Bible? Okay. We're in the Garden of Eden, and there is an agreement. There's a covenant between Adam and God. If Adam will obey God, stay clear of the trees, you know? Stay clear of the trees, if, if he will obey God, God agrees to bless him and be in relationship. And that's the covenant of works. What happens? Adam breaks the covenant. And we're getting to the point, but stay with me here. What happens after that? Genesis 3. God instigates another covenant. The covenant of grace where if we will repent and believe in the saving work of God, God agrees to bless us with eternal life. It's the covenant of grace. Now, here's the point. Our church, Reformed churches, they believe that the whole of Scripture from Genesis 3 onwards is an unpacking of that covenant, the covenant of grace. Do you see that? That from Genesis 3 onwards, God sort of shows people more and more and more of this blessing of the covenant. He says to Abraham, look, it's going to involve land. It's going to uh, involve all the nations. Then he shows the signs of the covenant. He shows uh, circumcision, baptism. He shows later on there's going to be a new element to this covenant. You know, going to pour out the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? From Genesis 3 onwards, what have we got? We've got the glories of the covenant of grace. And hopefully, right now you're thinking, where is he going with this? What's the point here? 
Yeah, we get the covenant of grace. Look at the last words of verse 9. Look at it. Are they familiar to you? God says, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. What's that? That there is the very heart and essence of the covenant of grace. We've got it here. It's the words that God spoke in Exodus as he took the people out of slavery. He said, this this is the beating heart of the covenant. What's going on here in Zechariah? Well, friends, this is an eschatological portion of Scripture. So you've got Zechariah, and he's looking forward, and it's a prophecy of the return of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of the last day. So do you see what will happen on that last day? What have we seen before in Zechariah? The earth will shake. The trumpet will sound on that last day. The skies will tear. The Savior will return. We will be brought up to Jesus. And what will happen? What will happen? There will be a glorious covenant declaration. God, on that moment, for all the earth to hear, will say of you, will say of us, he will say these people, these are my people. And we, in turn, will say to Jesus Christ, for all the earth to hear, we will say what? We will say this, Lord. He is our God. There will be a glorious covenant declaration. We will call out the covenant for everyone to hear. Friends, I ask you to keep that in view. To see here in Zechariah chapter 13 that your God is a covenant God. That such is his commitment to us that he has sent his son to die for us. Such is his commitment to us that he continues to refine us. That such is his commitment to you that one day for all the earth to hear, he will say, I love that person. That person is mine. Friends, we should be so thankful that our God is a covenant God, a God of loyalty, a God of faithfulness. We should be thankful this evening, as this congregation, we should be thankful that this Lord, we are his people. This Lord, this Lord, the covenant God. We should be thankful that he is our God. Let's pray.